Hi, this is Gender Gap, a monthly podcast series where we chat or gap about our PhD experiences, fails, and accomplishments when researching on gender and abuse. We are your hosts, Julia and Annie, and this is sponsored by the Gender Research Group at Glasgow Caledonian University in Scotland. touching on sensitive topics that some listeners may find distressing. Listener's discretion is advised. Welcome back to Gender Gab, your favorite PhD podcast on gender and abuse. This month, we are looking into Julia's first peer-reviewed article Julia, that was published earlier this year in the Journal of Gender-Based Violence. So we will put the details of that in the description as always. So her publication is titled The Continuum of Symbolic Violence, How Sexting Education Neglects Image-Based Sexual Abuse, Dismisses Perpetrators' Responsibility, and Violates Rights to Sexual Autonomy. And that's where Julia wrote on sexting, how sexting education campaigns in the UK actually perpetuate very harmful notions related to abuse, such as dismissing perpetrators' responsibility, victim blaming, and violating especially women's rights to sexual autonomy. I loved reading your paper. It was a rewrite of your master's thesis and was published back in mid-March time. And (laughs) you looked into three educational campaigns in the UK, which you originally came across as part of a workshop you attended from Scottish Women's Aid back in 2018, right? Yes. Okay. So what made you decide to take on this topic? So I think what stood on for me back when I was doing this workshop um, was to see how problematic the narrative is, but also what was interesting to see was that some of the attendees back then, as a fun fact, they were sharing how they had very upset daughters coming home um, after having watched one of these videos as part of their curriculum. So they had to, they shared with us how they needed to have a full sit down with their teenage kids and kind of were forced to deconstruct with them that what they had learned in school was actually super problematic. And this kind of um, started the ball rolling for me and my interest into um, education campaigns more specifically. It's really interesting, and it certainly isn't just a really interesting issue, but a very contemporary and important topic to look into. So maybe just to start us off, and so that we're all on the same page, what do we mean by sexting, and what are some implications we associate with it? And if you could, if you could just provide a little overview of your article as well. Yes, so most commonly in academic literature, but also... um, you know, elsewhere, we associate sexting often with sending nude, intimate, or private pictures or videos, and that's usually um, between consenting intimate partners, which um, you know can have benefits, for example, for the relationship, like sexual satisfi- sexual satisfaction. Um, but what we have also seen is that sexting practices have created new vulnerabilities in the form of sexual violence. Um, so this is particularly associated with having images distributed without consent. So, which is a type of abuse we now more commonly refer to um, as part of the umbrella term image-based sexual abuse, which, um, if the audience remembers our first episode, is also what my um, PhD focuses on. Yes, and in this light, we have seen that young people's sexting behaviors have become a particular concern. Uh, Ringrose even called it a post-feminist moral panic due to the perceived higher vulnerability of young people and the potential negative consequences once images are shared, and especially when images go viral. 
So this can include how survivors face harassment from unlimited sources online and may experience sexual harassment, rape, and death threats, or even online and offline stalking. And all of this, so the initial incident and the follow-up harassment, can lead to various harms, including medicalized harms, so, you know, psychological and physiological, but also, importantly, social harms, um, such as losing friends or isolation or isolating yourself, um, as well as financial harms, such as the loss of jobs and education and other monetary losses. Yes, that's correct. But um, so what's also interesting when we talk about harms on young people, we often see a focus by academia, but also media in general on psychological impacts. So, um, you know, ranging from anxiety and trust issues to um, PTSD and in worst cases, even suicide. And I'm not sure if you remember or even heard of the case, but back in the very early YouTube days, um, there was a Canadian teenager who had her images shared online. And she was like severe, severely harassed as a result. And she expressed her devastation through YouTube videos. Um, and unfortunately, she died by suicide as a result. Oh, it was so terrible. And I mean, even her YouTube video that she created, that's when she started getting even more harassment instead of support yeah, and help. And exactly. It's just a terrible story. Um, and it sadly reminds me of a young girl a couple years older than me in high school who also died by suicide after intimate pictures of her were shared throughout the school. And what sticks out to me to this day is that after her death, the only thing that was mentioned about her was that she shouldn't have shared her pictures. And one of my female teachers sat our class down and warned us never to sext or we could end up in a similar position. There was absolutely no mention of the people who spread her photos around or the people who bullied and harassed her throughout the school. Oh, so sorry to hear that. It's, it, it's so messed up and annoying, isn't it? That once again, we see victim blaming uh, when it comes to such narrative. Yeah. And um, so it is considered, it's really actually unsurprising that we've seen educational campaigns around sexting emerge as a result of these, um, you know, moral panics. Um, however, what I argue in my paper is that these campaigns are actually um, perpetuating symbolic violence, um, which means, so the, the term was coined by Bourdieu and Vacant and refers to violence exercised upon, well, social agents, so people with their complicity. Um, so they're not conscious about it, um, which as a result makes this form of violence seem very natural and inevitable. So for example, we have like sexist beliefs um, of women being weaker and less intelligent um, and less reliable than men. But um, we might also see it within um, sexist attitudes which perpetuate rape culture and sexual double standards, um, particularly again for women. Which um, So what's important to highlight um, as well is that media discourses, so including these sexting education campaigns, they actually can strengthen or weaken attitudes and therefore they can either challenge victim blaming or they can be complicit in its proliferation. Right. So, and that was kind of the driving force then for your own research to look in um, how far educational campaigns who are supposed to educate their audience are actually operation are operationalizing this um, anxiety about risk instead. Yes, exactly. So for my own research, I found three campaigns, um, as you mentioned, to look into, um, which were actually the only ones I could source at the time that specifically focused on sexting practices amongst young people in the UK. Um, which were also used in UK classrooms and accompanied by teaching material. And for the sake of the scope today, um, I ask you to um, look into one video. So why don't you give us a brief overview on the one you chose? Yes, so 
At your suggestion, I watched the video Sexting by the Bristol Safeguarding Children Board, which was <laughs> created in 2016 in collaboration with Academia, whatever that means specifically, um, where we follow a girl named Lola who starts at a new school and where she immediately meets her new classmates, including a guy named Josh. Um, Lola eventually gets pressured by Josh into sending a nude photo um, to Josh and Josh ends up distributing it among his quote-unquote mates, and Lola, as a result, receives a lot of victim-blaming, shaming, and harassment in the end. Um, and just watching it without going into the actual analysis, it was already super problematic. Um, some interesting acting performances. <laughs> For sure. Um, but also, having the chance to read your results, it was really interesting, so I hope we can maybe spot some of the specific scenes that you work with. So, should we jump into it? Uh, yes, good choice of video. Um, yeah. <laughs> Interesting choice. Uh, so I ended up constructing three themes on how sexting education reproduces symbolic violence through victim blaming. So yeah, let's see if you can spot it. So first, harms around image-based abuse are neglected, whilst young people's, um, well especially young women's, sexual expressions are penalized. So there's a focus in these campaigns on sexting as the quote-unquote key mistake young people make. Um, rather than arguing that image-based abuse in itself is an abusive behavior. And what we can see, um, we can see this because the the discourse that is presented is essentially fueled by fear about the lack of control um, once contents have been shared beyond the original recipient. And not just that, but survivors' reactions are often framed as exaggerated, which as a result is diminishing the harm done to them. Yes, and I immediately think of the scene in Sexting that after Lola's images go viral, Lola confronts Josh about what he did, and he replied something along the line of, you know, you're such a drama queen, it's not like everyone saw it, you're exaggerating. Yeah, exactly. Can Could you spot it, like, every, anywhere, anywhere else? Like, there's another instance where, where we can see it. Um, put on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> I guess maybe at the end, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm on the right track. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The film essentially concluded with Lola, um, or just more in general, survivor's responsibility to think about the consequences before engaging in sexting. And the narrator said something like, think, would you send your image on? And they also say something about, you know, some people have the confidence not to send their images on. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't be laughing. Uh, it's very obnoxious, and it's really not what we should be focusing on here, which is why I'm inappropriately laughing. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right, though, right? So these films, they all argue that it's, that it's survivor's behavior that led to the victimization, not the perpetrator's. Right, so without them creating the images, they wouldn't have been victimized. Exactly, and as such, we see image-based abuse being redirected to the engagement of sexting in itself, which diminishes a person's sexual autonomy, but it also completely downscales the seriousness of harms inflicted upon survivors. And what we also witness as a result is that perpetrators' actions are completely excused or stay completely unaddressed. Yep, sounds about right. And what else did you find? So on a second level, I also looked into how the construction of survivors and perpetrators follows, um, well, hegemonic assumptions of masculinity and femininity. <laughs> yep, of course. <laughs> Because all these films, they emphasize very traditional gender roles and power distributions. So we see a lot of focus on female naivety and um, male sexual aggression. 
Yes, and I specifically think of when Lola is portrayed as unaware that Josh could take advantage of her when she confronts him afterwards. She's like, I wanted you to see it, not the whole world. Yes, exactly. And um, so also similar line, what, also, what we also see is that women's sexual autonomy is further undermined through the referral to survivor's maturity level. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Josh specifically kind of courses um, Lola into sending nude pictures by being saying something like... Uh, well, if you were mature, you would be, you know, sending me pictures or you're not as mature as I thought. Yeah, exactly. And when women actually do engage in sexting, um, which um, happened in one of the other videos, it's not only sanctioned as deviant, but women are also objectified through their nude images. Um, it's essentially, it's kind of like a virtual manifestation of traditional traits of femininity and sexual attractiveness. And the punishments they, like these women receive are reinforced by peers and by strangers through the internet for acting out of the norm, um, resulting in degrading them and their sexual autonomy to essentially social outsiders because um, their behavior, um, so the engagement in sexting, is framed as something to be embarrassed about or to be ashamed about. And what this then also does, it further fails to acknowledge that abuse is experienced across all social groups and therefore it neglects the importance of paying attention to other gender and sexual identities. Mm. It's fascinating how problematic this really is, and especially considering that this is supposed to be teaching young people. Um, but before we just dive into a discussion about that, what was your last theme? So the last theme I constructed was on how survivors, particularly, again, women, are consistently held accountable for their own victimization, whilst perpetrators are excused for violating their partner's trust and integrity. So what we see across all these films is that women are put into a position of degradation um, and also shame. Okay, so with the film Sexting, um, we see Josh first redirects the blame to his fellow peers his his mates so he said okay i shared it with a couple of my mates you can blame you can't blame me if they go on and share it um but yeah so then he concludes back onto lolo's responsibility of sending the picture in the first place so asking her why she sent it like okay he was the one who pressured and coerced her into sending it so don't make it sound like it's yeah that's but like that's exactly right right this unawareness of consequences put survivors in such a double standard because this is particularly interesting giving the introduction to the film so one of the um resources for sexting um that was supposed to be used by educators um initiates the narrative around the survivor's mistake so it literally like to quote says through peer pressure and wanting to impress lola sends a sexual picture that is shared and sent further than she ever imagined so survivors are responsible for adequately risk assessing a situation before they engage in sexting and they're penalized if they fail to do this risk assessment yet the perpetrator's unawareness of consequences they act essentially as an excuse for their behavior that makes sense i mean even the way it's fra- phrased is so problematic because it shows agencies for the survivors, as in what Lola was supposed to do or not to do, and not the perpetrators. So the film in that sense is not about Josh was abusive and pressured his new classmate to send images. Not only that, but then he also sends the images on without Lola's consent. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you can then argue is that these three themes, the criminalization of adolescent sexuality, um, the reproduction of hegemonic gender structures, and the excuse of male perpetrators and blaming of female survivors that we see in sexting and also the other two campaigns that you looked at they collectively contribute to the 
construction and reconstruction of symbolic violence. Yes, absolutely. And as a result, we can also see that this closely links to acceptance of rape myths and also the continuing of um, victim blaming. So therefore, what sexting education essentially does, it just perpetuates and legitimizes male sexual violence against women and girls. So we see that these campaigns narrate from the point of view of female survivors and what they could have done differently to not get victimized. So the victim blaming narrative they receive is shown as justified because if they had not taken the image in the first place, it would not have gone viral. So as a result, these campaigns frame survivors as complicit in experiencing sexual violence, whilst also reinforcing that such abuse, including slurs towards women's bodies and the objectification of women's bodies in line with symbolic violence, is natural and inevitable and part of a woman's identity, which also means that young women are taught that their sexual expression and their sexual autonomy caused their victimization. Uh, which consequently completely undermines that they have a right to sexual autonomy and express their sexuality in a safe way. Yes, exactly. And at the same time, the actual abusive behavior, namely the non-consensual image sharing amongst men, stays completely unaddressed throughout Mm -hmm. these films. So if anything, we see it supported and legitimized by male peers. So by focusing on survivors' actions rather than perpetrator sexing education, it essentially neglects the issue of breaching survivors' trust and privacy, and as a result, image-based abuse is implicitly denied as a form of sexual violence. I mean, we even continue to see this in other forms of sexual abuse as well, unfortunately. I mean, in the media, we constantly see harmful views of gender and sexuality, which perpetuates victim-blaming and common rape myths throughout our culture. And our culture romanticizes sexual violence throughout popular media. And we hold survivors accountable for their own victimization. Mm -hmm. So what a person is wearing and drinking and doing during a sexual assault is the focus rather than on the perpetrator's actions. And (laughs) don't get me started on the he has so much promise, he's just a young man and don't ruin his swimming career, which (laughs) effectively brings all the blame and responsibility onto the survivor for actions leading up to the assault, as well as the ramifications afterwards um and also these myths that sexual assault is only committed by the stranger in the alley and that real survivors put up a fight against assault are not representative of many individuals lived experiences um and also not to mention that the way media discusses sexual assault makes it seem that only white heterosexual cisgender women are victimized which is absolutely not the case Yes, absolutely. And this is why it's also concerning that there is like this complete lack of acknowledgement of the complexity of image-based abuse. So through heteronormative and mostly white middle-class depiction, with the narrative um, all following female survivors and male perpetrators, um, sexing education completely fails to acknowledge abuse as an experience across all social groups, right? So this is particularly concerning since we do know from multiple studies that marginalized groups tend to be especially targeted for gender-based and sexual abuse. And what they consequently consequently also fail to showcase is that image-based abuse can be perpetuated not just by ex-partners or current partners or, like, you know, general love interests, but also by friends, family, strangers, and for various reasons, including coercion, blackmail, humiliation, embarrassment, financial gain, sexual gratification, you know, you name it. But instead of acknowledging this complexity of image-based abuse, through this institutional filtering and framing, educational work is essentially explicitly designed to remain within a narrative which fits the expectation of gender and sexuality of those in power, which, of course, in most Western civilizations are often cis-head white men. (laughs) Uh, Frustrating. (laughs) Yes, 100%. But what's also interesting 
to point out here is that um, this is something you already pointed out. These films are in theory designed as an early intervention, but they do so exclusively from a risk assessment point of view, mm. which is absolutely inappropriate and unreasonable. Because like in a context nowadays where, or in the past couple of years, where participation in online spaces has become such an um, increasingly core aspect of our social lives, yeah. it essentially hinders people, especially young women, to fully but also to equally participate in society as quote-unquote di- digital citizens. Wow, yeah, I, I hadn't really thought about that, and that's interesting. I mean, a lot of this education on abuse or a lot of these narratives around abuse is on what women can do to protect themselves against predominantly cishet men rather than on educating men not to you know rape women Mm. um if we look back at the sarah everard case in march time um where the police were trying to give a night curfew to women to stay home after dark and that was their you know solution um or even how we see the increased emergence of safety devices for women to not get raped rather than holding men accountable and educate them not to rape women um the ways women have internalized these safety measures makes me incredibly sad having to share our locations and holding our keys as weapons keeping our heads down when men harass us on the street for fear of escalation of violence um ordering a taxi for a five minute walk because it's too dangerous to walk alone and all of this is just accepted and how we should be operating and we're taught these measures through these backwards educational campaigns which just continues to put all the responsibility on us yeah absolutely absolutely and it, it it's like so harmful in its own rights right because as we um what, what we see as a result is that these education campaigns they fail to acknowledge that young people they have a right to explore their sexual identities in a safe environment mm. but all they're doing is creating a dissonance between the creator and the audience um but if we focus on the exploration of sexuality as the issue rather than the exploitation of a person's trust and sexual autonomy, the victim blaming narrative um, persists and continues to essentially naturalize male sexual violence and female sexual passivity. So maybe just to round it up for today, towards the end of your paper, you also mentioned some positive outlooks and make some general suggestions, which is good. Um, So you argue how education needs an overhaul and focus on young people to be more critical consumers of images and think about the images that they encounter and whether it is it is appropriate and ethical to send them on to their peers. And additionally, whether it might be appropriate and ethical to report the image to an authority. Um, the issue is not the criminalization of exploring one's sexuality, but in quotes, to be an ethical user and consumer of technologies, how to be an ethical bystander, how to engage in positive and healthy relationships and how important consent is. And I think you made such an important point and kind of also ties back to how we need to readdress the ways we teach young people about sex, consent and abuse to begin with. Yeah, that's exactly right. And what is interesting though, Um, We have seen a positive outlook offered by Australian research, um, which has recently, well-ish, brought some of these notions forward to the Australian government, um, which resulted in a less victim-centered narrative approach to image-based abuse. So, for example, they established the Office for the E-Safety Commissioner, which released um, a series of short monologues on Rewrite Your Story, where um, one of of these short films called Sam's Stories... um, 
this one frames image-based abuse as the issue rather than the behavior of the survivor. And then there's also a similar story called Jared's story, um, which narrates on bystander intervention and witnessing image-based abuse amongst um, their social circle and what to do. So one can only hope that the UK is hopefully catching up with that soon and, um, you know, um, making some important changes. It does sound promising. And I mean, can you maybe link those below? I haven't seen those and that <laughs> yes. might be more um, uh, less disheartening than the one I watched. Yeah, yeah. They're, uh, awesome. they're quite nice. So we link them below. Awesome. Uh, so, yeah, that seems like a good note to end on for this month. So why don't we jump into this month's accomplishments? Uh, cool. Yeah. So I started redrafting my literature review recently and I am currently still on track to have it finished within the time frame I set for myself and that's it for this month. <laughs> good work. I'm always very jealous of your um, time frames and your scheduling because somehow you stay on track. <laughs> Oh my gosh, you tried to help me with it too, but um, I'll get there one day. Uh, <laughs> uh, I have made progress on my RDC2 and preparations for my first PhD examination and presentation. Yay, that's excellent. So um, I'm sure you will be fine, to be fair. I mean, it's it's a mini Vimer. You're, you're, you'll do fine. Fingers um, crossed. <laughs> and, but yeah, I think with that, we are concluding this month's episode. As always, if you would like to join us for a gap in a future episode, get in touch with us on Twitter at GenderGap. Or as always, you can email us at GenderGap at Outlook.com. Yes, and tune in next month for a special summer episode. Yay! <laughs> Thank you for listening. Bye! Bye!